KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM. I'm Mark Mono. This is the Henry George Program, back for a new season. Show all about policy, politics, and land. Today in the program, we are with Ed Mendoza of the Livable Communities Initiative. We are talking about something no one was talking about a few years ago, now is seemingly everywhere. Single stair reform, a.k.a. point access blocks, a.k.a. vertical shared access, a.k.a. skinny apartments, etc., etc., so we dig in exactly what this is, what the general pitch is, get into some details on uh, issues such as fire safety, and then into some more wonky things such as land assembly premiums. Uh, I should mention before we get into it, uh, this was recorded before an actual bill landed on the floor of Sacramento. So we're talking in future tense, but it is now past tense. Uh, for the new, let's get into it. So, uh, Ed, thanks a lot for being here. Thank you for, for having me on here. Yeah, so this is this is something which isn't usually, you know, the kind of thing we talk about in the show. It's it's uh, very, very disturbingly, it's architecture adjacent, uh, which is usually something I don't want to get in the weeds of at all. But it really has to do a lot with kind of larger scale stuff of, uh, we'll get to it later. I think it, it definitely is not irrelevant to, you know, land justice and other stuff. But without further ado, uh, let's just kind of assume someone has never heard of single stair, vertical shared access. Just just, just uh, give someone a pitch of kind of well, what the hell is this whole thing people are talking about? I mean, it, it, I mean, single stair, vertical shared access is just, you know, in, in plain terms, it's just a, it's a way of going in and out of a building. It's uh, the same way that you have uh, double loaded corridor style buildings and double loaded corridor like hotel style buildings you have. You know a unit on both sides and aisle going right down the middle or a gallery access which is uh more akin to like a motel where you have units on one side and then a corridor on, on like all the way on the, on the side uh vertical shared access is another way of, of going in and about a building um but you're, you're describing kind of technical aspects but it's also a movement <laughs> this is right. like yeah people are, a lot of people are talking about it it's a lot of energy well like what what like it's unusual that people are like spending a lot of time advocating for what seems like really kind of wonky and you know in the weeds building code stuff yeah i mean it it, it seems like a very insignificant thing you know <laughs> That, that that may just you know that should be you know discarded to to the corners of of building code, yeah. but 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 reality has like a massive massive impact on what type of buildings could be built, what type of units you could have in a building, how big of a site you need to build anything. It, it's it's really a game changer, and if you look at you know the international building world. Uh, the premier way of building is through uh, vertical shared access or single stair, colloquial term. And there, there's reasons for for, for this um, uh, preference. You know, it's it's strange that the United States is an outlier when when not utilizing this this type of uh, building egress or circulation. And I guess we got Canada's on our side too, so we got like yeah. the entire Northern Anglo North American sphere, but. Yeah, I feel like it really opens your eyes, you know. I mean, it could feel like very vibes-based, but uh, I, I think you talk about why aren't things here the same way they are in Europe. Like, everyone wants to kind of like, oh, new buildings, I'm all for them. But in the end, the vibes are often really bad. You know, I, I was just like visiting a friend out in D.C. who like, you know, is now in a condo. And it feels like a hotel. It feels like this weird, endless hallways. It's like, boy, this sucks. Like, I really I don't mean, like the, it here. The thing is, like, I, 
So when we started, we, we have to like kind of center ourselves and essentially realize that when mixed use developments in the United States were all but defunct until maybe a decade ago. Like we yeah. just didn't build mid-rise construction anymore. Or if we did, it was more of a greenfield type esque, you know, master plan construction type thing. And so, you know, when when we updated the land use to allow mixed use construction in, in cities, we didn't really tinker too much with the building code, right? Yeah. So in essence, we ended up building hotels. But, you know, this time housing residents, permanent residents instead. Right. And, and you, you see it, too, with like the type of units that you see in these new type of uh, multifamily developments that you see in urban cores. You see a lot of studios. You, you see a lot of one beds and that's it. And, and there's a reason for this. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think you, it's, it's interesting. I'm mean, like, what is normal? You talk, you like watch movies or something in Europe. You would never see kind of a normal person in an American film in an apartment, but there is apartments and also kind of the entire layout, the way they would access it. There is a homier aspect than even like a new multifamily. Also watch old American movies. If you watch stuff, you know, that was like shot in the 20s and 30s and on in an apartment, you you notice you start seeing things that you only see in old buildings. You have like one big landing and it's a big spiral staircase that people go up on the on the inside. And it's, it's kind of weird. It's like, wow, it's like, we aren't building this. Is this just a preference? And then you realize, no, there's a lot of weird, stupid laws that are unusual. Uh, yeah. And it's it, all this invisible stuff uh, all, all under us. I know. We just kind of forgot how to build the typical apartment in the United States, or we, we chose to forget it. And until now, we're, we're starting to, you know, move back into the traditional apartment style, you know, construction. I, I lived... I lived in in Berlin for a couple of years before moving back to LA, and and I and I, and I liked it. You know, I I had I lived in a brand new building, but this brand new building had um had an elevator, and then they had like a, a staircase, and you know, going around this elevator. And yeah, I lived on the I lived on the fourth floor, and I had you know three neighbors, and and that was nice. You know, I, I got to know my neighbors. It's it's just something that that you know you don't really see too much here. I don't know what that is. I mean, this is going extremely kind of cultural speculative, but yeah, it's when you have a hallway, I always find it very awkward to socialize with like a hotel style hallway neighbor like chain as opposed to, you know, it seems like having a landing. It, it's I know people who have like a condo or something with a landing with like two people. like They all know each other. So the hallways are really something's weird about them. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the landing definitely forces you to at least say hi to your neighbor, right? You're sharing a yeah. floor with like one or two other people, so it, yeah, kind of kind of pushes you to to say hi. Like so, uh, what well, one of the controversies here uh, is the is just like naming. I think a lot of people aren't really like too happy or getting to what what do we call these things. Uh, you know, single stair is a big thing people talk about. I think you know, there's a lot of reasons people don't like that name uh for single stair because it's not just about stairs you know it makes it sound there's no elevators and then two it's like describing what you don't have which is just kind of negative uh other people say point access blocks that's a bit that's a bit dry i don't know uh it sounds like it sounds like vertical shared access is your preference is that is that right to say that's that's how they call it in uh at least in the other English-speaking countries in the world that, that use this type of thing, uh, New Zealand, Australia, 
pretty sure the UK uses it. So that's, that's, that's what funny. I, I guess that we have a lot of kind of like weebs, but for Germany and Austria, and I think point access blocks is like uh, just a strict translation of their <laughs> house. Yeah, yeah, it's, it sounds very German, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly what it is. I pooked house sounds pretty cool, but yeah, point access blocks a bit, bit, bit bland. I was, they call it spanner over there, which is a bit abstract. Yeah, I know people are toying with like skinny apartments is is a name, which yeah, is yeah. and and like you could call them skinny apartments, but you know, point access blocks could be. I mean, point access blocks help develop on skinny sites, right? So you could create skinny apartments, but they also help all buildings right there, there's a reason why most social housing projects in in europe utilize you know the the vertical shared access point access block it's, it's just better it's better with more efficient with with uh floor space efficiency you get more green space literally just a better product so it's you know it, it goes anywhere yeah so i mean just, just drill down a bit more i guess you, know, you can talk about like if you're just making a list of reasons why it's good i mean Efficiency. I mean, you can talk about vibes, but I, when you talk about efficiency, I'm just much more. Uh, at least you can quantify that. Uh, so yeah, just talk a bit more about kind of what what the baseline efficiency gains you would hope to see. Sure. I mean, from my knowledge with the architects I've spoken to and developers, efficiency is everything in when developing a building. And they all the developers I've spoken to have always you know spoken mentioned eighty five percent. Uh, rentable square uh, like area of something 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 and, and what it means is you know they, most of the stuff that a developer builds they want to extract some type of rent out of it right they want to make it as efficient as possible and typically you know our standard the double loaded corridor hotel style egress is is relatively efficient um from from what I heard or from my my knowledge, it usually is around the ninety percent efficiency or hits around ninety percent, and that's good. But there are serious caveats to this, right? Double loaded corridor setups need a lot of land for for them to make sense. If you have a very small parcel, you can't physically put in a double loaded corridor, right? In in areas where land is scarce or really expensive. Then you get other factors that that you know may may downplay the the efficiency of a double loaded corridor, and in the U.S., you know, if we want to build on very small sites or you know, commercial, you don't want to like assemble like parcels together, or do some sort of master plan. You know, you have maybe you know four thousand square feet. You're you're kind of just stuck with doing uh, something called gallery access, so this motel style uh, circulation. And that by far is the most inefficient type of circulation that you get in buildings where, you know, most of these type of buildings barely scratch the 85, you know, 85% rentable square footage. I mean, the, the classic motel, I guess, imagine in like the doors are all facing the outside. Is there also like, do you ever see like, I guess, the one side hallway, but it's actually indoors or is this like always outdoors? You, you you see it indoors. Yeah. You, okay. Yeah. I guess that's new for, new for me, or maybe I'm just not picturing it right. But yeah, especially with taller buildings. I mean, if you have like an eight story building, you have a balcony facing out, it's probably not. not that's not, true. Not yeah. In terms of anxiety. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, so these layouts are, are relatively inefficient and they mostly produce, you know, one type of unit or one type, which is uh, 
you know, a, a studio or one bed without a, without a window in that, that one bed. So it, it's, it, it just doesn't create the best, right? Whereas, you know, vertical shared access in these small sites, it, it excels and excels by a lot. You know, it gets up to uh, 95% efficiency, just superior to even double loaded corridors. And so it kind of lends itself to be, you know, the, the go-to when it comes to uh, smaller sites. And, you know, these are the type of sites I usually find on any of our commercial boulevards. And these are the type of sites I usually build on, like you know, when, you're in, when you're in Europe and you're trying to do infill building. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I feel like there's a, a flexibility. You see a lot of people posting diagrams. And when it's, you know, the hallway-based, it's almost always going to be a huge rectangle. It's going to be a full block or half block. And it kind of, you, you know what you're going to see. Everything looks the same. Whereas you get a lot of flexibility because when you just basically, you're kind of just dropping a smaller tube you can do that really anywhere, which is why you'd see it doesn't have to be a rectangle. You have like these triangles that could be kind of squeezed in. You can do a lot more. And I think people like don't like, yeah, with courtyard access, other stuff uh, that you just don't really see. And I think this is just because, yeah, it's one, you can drop a tube that is just taking up a lot less space in this giant, basically, you know, rectangular prism of a hallway. Yeah. And two, I think the other thing is there's actually like essentially laws about sunlight access that if you are trying, if you have the hallway, then you're like really playing hard mode of basically fill in. Like all you're doing is yeah. making sure that that everyone gets sunlight, that at least is my understanding. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, it's extremely difficult, especially for double loaded corridors on smaller sites, if it's even possible to, to get sunlight in most units. Whereas, right, you're right, it, with a vertical shared access, you know, vertical core, architects essentially get a blank canvas around that core. They could design units in ways where, you know, most units get, you know, cross ventilation. They get sunlight from many angles. It feels more of a, more like a single family home than it does, you know, a, a hotel. Um, yeah. There's, I, and I feel like in the US, you know, the, there's a strong need for that, you know. We don't really get, that type of option, unless you're trying to move into an old 1920s building, you know, that, that had yeah. have these type of configurations, or you just, you know, move out to the, to the suburbs where you could get a single family home that, that fulfills those needs. So, yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's, it's also you're kind of running up against kind of like the good path or the evil path. There's other folks are saying the way we fix everything is saying maybe we don't need that sunlight. And like people like there's like a lot of folks out there saying like maybe people just need to get used to having rooms and no sunlight. And I mean, I've lived in it's not the end of the world, but it is kind of like. I don't know if that's like really what you want to cut down I, the the Munger cube aspect of a giant kind of Borg like building uh, with a bunch of artificial windows on the inside. It is interesting to say that's not what they do around the world. We don't we don't have to settle for that. Yeah, and I, and I get your point, and I think I also understand the point of these uh, architects or developers that you know try to argue for the windowless bedroom. And I mean, we lived in a very like you know constrained code and land use environment here in the United States. And, you know, sometimes planning departments ask for, you know, buildings to have multiple bedrooms. And as an architect, you know, you have your hands tied, right? Yeah. Say like, hey, if you want two beds, I'm sorry. Like, they're not going to have windows, but yeah. you know, we have to put them in. Um, so 
it just doesn't look good for the, the lay person, right? <laughs> when, when looking at these buildings, they're like, you know, what the heck? Why doesn't my bedroom have a window? You know, I, I this this doesn't seem normal. It's I I, I think it's 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 better to I don't know the best way to say it. It's better to just build units with windows, and you know, and if you they have windows, they probably are more efficient in terms of efficiency standards, whatever it is. Yeah, so it's probably it's probably for the best. Yeah, I, I could say the argument too. Like maybe not not every every bedroom necessarily has to have a window, but if the whole like Munger cube like dream of like it's a huge huge block and nothing has windows, it's a bit weird. I maybe you could say. I, I think most people would kind of say, I don't. That's not really the world you'd want to have, and it's not. Yeah, it's not it's the not only the world way for I want to live in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, when I lived in a place without a window, like, I, uh, yeah, it's just like the weekends would be there. I'd be like sleeping to three o'clock and not realize it. it it's, it's a bit, bit weird. Uh, but yeah, I feel like as far as like laypersons go, yeah, when you see vertical shared access, single stair, there's responses to say like why this, you know, seems scary. And I think the big thing is, uh, you know, you talk about maybe, you know, fire, you know, fire danger is, is one thing that comes up. So like, this is, what, what, what is the general response to, to this whole, whole, you know, line? Well, I mean, the world kind of has standards to these type of buildings. These, these buildings aren't new, you know, they've, they've existed. The, the earliest versions of these buildings are from what, like the 1800s and over time, you know, European, Latin American, Asian, you know, building codes have, you know, updated and, you know, and, modernized and well, what was your question again i, I, I just it's like people might be might be uh most scared of, like, of, like of scared to it. right and like i mean in most places you're limited by the amount of units you have per you know landing right in europe the standard is i think four and i think another i think in germany might be three so there aren't that many people utilizing these stairs to begin with right it's you and two other neighbors and so when it comes to, if it were to come to like an emergency or you need to evacuate the building, you're not competing against, say, 20 other units that you would in an American apartment, right? And because in America, you just need two stairways, but these two stairways could, you know, fulfill the, 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 the capacity of, you know, 20 units on a floor or something like that. Versus, you know, a, a more strict standard of a vertical, you know, shared access block that that limits it to three or four. Yeah, no, you have to actually get to factor in running down the hallway too, or yeah. whatever. Yeah, that's and, not nothing. And and also, European standards also have like a um, like a set proximity that you that your unit has to be, you know, from these from these egress points. And usually, it's it's nothing. It's like you know, a few a couple feet, right? So. There really is no no room for a long hallway to exist in these vertical shared access uh, buildings, and you know, that's that's convenient. I mean, people with disabilities, the elderly. I mean, it's, it's to enter and exit a, your house is is way easier, even even easier than than it is today in in, in the American standard. Yeah, and I think like you can talk through kind of just you know how it makes sense, but like. If you actually looked at the data and say, like, well, America may be constrained, but you know, you can't argue the fact we're much safer. But that's not true. Like, we are lagging behind almost all of Europe, you know, East Asia, as far as like fire safety goes. So, like, what we're doing isn't 
you know, isn't working or the other way around it is you can have a vertical shared access, you know, stairway design and not take on fire risk. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's the way we should do it. Um, I know that North America has way stricter uh, standards than than Europe. We have a like uh, we require all the apartments to be sprinkled or have fire sprinkling systems. I know a lot of European uh, our codes do not. So, you know, we're better there. We also have really good uh, ventilation, um, you know, fire mitigation strategies, like pressurized stairwells. We have a lot of things that Europe does not in in the multifamily sphere. And I think that's good. You know, I I think that Europe could learn from us from from those aspects. And, you know, it's it's just applying, you know, their circulation forms in, in our code. So, well, so, so why why are we doing just a bad job by the data? Then? Oh, I mean, by the data, it's not multifamily structures that are catching on fire. Okay, uh, it's 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 our single family homes that normally catch on fire. And if we do have, um, uh, it's 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 like it's a long long story. Or our older stock of apartments that just don't have our you know contemporary fire mitigation features. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, uh, and I guess like the whole, like when people do kind of, you know, raise concerns about fire, I mean, this isn't really what we're talking about. It, it you know, raises shackles when it's done in bad faith for me. Like I, this isn't, uh, this isn't the topic, but talking about like mass timber buildings, oh, wood burns. And, you know, it's, you see this ad campaigns to keep mass timber illegal. And it's done by the concrete lobby and all this. I, it's, it really grosses me out. Yeah, I mean, there's politics and everything. <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, if, if we lived in a world that was purely, you know, guided by empirical like truths and and you know, objective safety standards, we we we'd probably have these you know, vertical shared access buildings in, in the United States a long, long time ago, right? So but I guess it, like the, the our building codes, it's not like we go out to the ballot and like vote on building codes. This really is done by technical wonks who are supposed to be not extremely democratically accountable directly it is and i guess that's the thing like stuff it's within the democratic structure but it's not like everything just goes to a vote yeah and there's a lot of give and go i know that when you know when there's code changes sometimes it seems like things are added just you know for the politicking aspect of it but that's that's the system we've created and that's those are the i guess the, the boundaries we have to work yeah, so I mean, is uh, could you talk about? Because I, I know, like in the news, uh, this whole you know single stair vertical shared access whatever has has real legislation on the floor in Washington State. Uh, they call it HB one one six seven, and uh, I think it just says that you're not. They're just uh, going to revise their you know state building code uh, up to like up to six stories. It's not going to mandate double egress. Uh, if it, you know, if basically it has certain standards of, you know, fire safety or, or within the municipality, that's at least yeah. what I read. But I guess it's a question of like, if we're, you know, we're both in California, if this happens in California, would the legislation look like this? Would it be different? What's, what's the whole path forward as far as well, amending California stuff? California is known for its stricter building code requirements. So it probably would my guess is that it wouldn't be as, uh, liberal as it is in Washington. I'm not calling, you know, Washington's, you know, updated code, you know, unsafe. It's probably very safe. 
but I believe that in California we have we just have a struck uh, a cultural you know um, position on on more strict building code, and it, it differs state to state, right? Like for example, currently you know NFPA 101 standards allow uh, or have a much more liberal interpretation of single stair vertical shared access buildings and where, and how they could be implemented than than you know California's take. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a very state, you know, so we, we, well, if there's going to be more constraints in California, what, what do you think practically that would look like? Is that, is it hard to say, or like, how do you thread the needle? I mean, what, what, what I know, or what I'm going to guess is that, you know, we're, we're going to increase the amount of, uh, of, uh, mitigations when, when, when applying this, this new, um, I guess, expanded definition of how and where you could apply uh, single stair buildings. And I don't know. I think it's right now it, it's going to be go up for debate. There are going to be some asks from, you know, the fire marshal. And uh, it's just, you know, it's it's going to be a little bit of politics. And when you say mitigations, what what, what would that, uh, what what could be possible mitigations? So, so, so it could be, you know, it could be uh, firewall, uh like uh standards from like an hour to two hours it could be uh like unit separation it could be you know roof it it could be uh pressurized stairwell or open air stairwell uh reform there's a lot of things that that could be you know changed or, or updated to you know, to, to, to apply this, this new reform. So, it, so it, it's it a very, very, very broadly. I mean, I guess it says like that would, you know, imply extra costs and the argument would be it's worth it. Uh, but would this, would this, it doesn't sound like necessarily that would prevent small sites. Yeah. So, I mean, it depends again, uh, <laughs> in Seattle, um, they allow type five. So type five is stick built. It's like, you know, wood frame construction is the cheapest type of construction. They allow, uh, type 5A, which is uh, like with fire mitigation, etc., to go up and be uh, single stair vertical shared access. Um, I hope that California allows this because it is the most affordable way to build. And it's, I believe it's still safe or mm-hmm. still very safe. It might not be the case that, that, that California decides to go this route. It might, they might, you know, choose for, for steel construction or they might choose for concrete construction it's it's I guess right now it's going to be to the interpretation of, of our fire marshal and and the pressure that you know local electeds give you know and push back. Is that I mean is that going to be I mean, my rule of thumb as far as like steel and concrete is like that only pencils for more than eight stories. So if you're trying to really be in this six story or less missing middle small site thing, and if it's only for steel or concrete, it sounds like sounds like that's not going to get you that stuff right it it might it might not <laughs> i mean okay. this, this, is, this is this is like where, where where we're gonna have to like you know sit down with like a round table of developers and really break down to see whether you know these these new infill products will will be any cheaper than what we get today we i hope it they will be even with increased mitigations or fire safety mitigations um i mean Right now, California uh, just passed 2097, which uh, eliminates parking minimums for projects near transit. That should be, you know, that should have cost-saving you know, properties to it. And 
the group that I'm currently working with, the LCI Local Communities Initiative, I think a massive chunk of what we do is we try to find ways to, you know, streamline the process of getting infill housing approved and built and also streamlining, you know, I guess uh, more traditional like zoning and, you know, design, you know, strategies that, that cities usually take on to produce, you know, more efficient, cost efficient building layouts. So it's, it, it's, it's going to be a lot of factors, a lot of variables that will determine whether a building will pencil out or not. But I mean, I'm confident that we would or that we will be able to get vertical shared access type five, you know, developments up there. I, I personally don't see an objective reason why they wouldn't be able to go up given what we have in Seattle and Washington state. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so you talked about, uh, yeah, LCI, uh, livable communities initiative. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, just talk about like, so outside of, of, of this, of this, uh, what, what else, what else are you working on? Or I guess, what are what are all the goals of, of the LCI? Cause I know this is, this is a shared project, or at least some of this advocacy is between LCI and East Bay for everyone who've talked to some folks from before in the show, but, uh, yeah, just just I just say more. I'm not really familiar. Uh, sure. Uh, so the LCI, I guess, its main mission is to build more affordable, attainable homes and in, in the form of multifamily you know, on commercial corridors. As you know, uh, building multifamily is extremely expensive in the United States. Uh, usually, the amount of infrastructure needed and things that municipalities ask from these multifamily developments, these costs are passed down directly to, you know, the tenant, right? If, if a municipality wants you to have a pool and a gym and, you know, two stories of underground parking, that's going to go directly onto the rent of, you know, of, of the tenant because the developer is not going to bear that cost, right? Um, what we're trying to do is make it so we could build our contemporary version of of the blue collar working class apartment and make it legal to to exist you know we're not saying ban you know the current housing forms that we have today but why not create you know a, a more affordable alternative that that is just as good and and hopefully much more affordable and, and attainable for for people well, and so practically, uh, I mean, you know, this building code revisions is w- one aspect, and I guess you could talk about just basically land use regulation being another. What else, what else goes in the stew of, of stuff? I mean, so the way that we're approaching this is we're trying to, you know, make it feasible for a person to develop, you know, very small parcel, like, like 2,500 square feet, like parcels that would be completely ignored today or parcels in higher market areas that just wouldn't be able to be assembled to make something, right? So like in LA, we have Melrose. And Melrose is a really thriving area, but you hardly see any new housing construction there, right? And a major reason for that is land acquisition costs. And, you know, it's really, it's gonna, it's really, really difficult if to get, you know, two or three separate landowners to agree to sell, right? Especially if one of those, you know, properties is, you know, doing great, right? Why sell, right? So what we're trying to say is, hey, you know, if, if you have a very small site and you want to build housing on top, let's make it possible, you know? 
let don't let you know your 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 smaller sites stop you from from helping out in the, this housing crisis and for you to you know develop and you know do do the good thing and and create value from from the neighborhood that that you're serving right this reminds me of we were talking uh the past year with uh, Michael Banville about basically the 2097 the the, the parking requirement reforms and a whole line of kind of argumentation the claim is this will be cheaper to build this will make things cheaper and then people will respond saying oh you don't get it because it's going to be cheaper then this just means land you know prices will increase uh so like the land residual will basically suck up the savings and nothing will be done and Michael Manville's argument is basically when no one can defect from basically the, the regular land market, there is, there, there is a very strong reason that land prices stay so high. But what you really need are more defectors, people who are willing to sell for less, who currently won't. And I think this is, you know, in my mind, extremely relevant to small sites. Because as you say, when you have to compile an entire half of a city block, you are going to basically be, you know, running up against people who are going to really have a very strong organizing principle to keep their land values as high as possible, as opposed to, yeah, it's there, you can't do anything with with smaller sites so when you have those defectors you can really you know suck that up it the the the, i guess the chaos or the whatever you call this it's really going to bring in i i i I think the overall like land residual it's 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 going to have a weird effect oh yeah absolutely and i mean in los angeles there's a study done 20 2018 uh it's probably these numbers are probably higher now but in 2018 they found that for uh, land assembly there in Los Angeles, there's a 15 to 40% premium on top of, you know, the value of the land. So, so if, you know, a parcel's worth a million bucks, you know, and you want to assemble it, it's going to, you know, it's going to cost you 1.4, right? And that is, do you know who's behind this this uh, research? I, uh, I, f- I, f- I forgot, I forgot the person's name, but you just look it up on Google. Yeah, maybe, let me know, I'll look it up afterwards and I'll put it in the, in the closing, uh, if if we get this. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, one of the invisible things you talk about. You talk about, oh, look at this developer building, but yeah, like, land assembly is one of those invisible things that it's so easy to just never think about or care about, and it's not shocking that it gets numbers like that. No, yeah, it's extremely expensive and also increases the barrier of wanting to redevelop. Not everyone's going to have, you know, a $10 million fund redevelop these larger sites. And I, I think like a like big picture, I, I think there are plenty of existing landowners that wouldn't mind redeveloping their site if they're able to get more revenue and, you know, if, if it makes sense for them to, to redevelop. And it's just not an option that that we have today, and you know that that that's you know that's that's exclusive, excluding thousands upon thousands of parcels in the city of potential housing because the density already exists, right? The zoning is already there. You're not changing the zoning, but it's you know it's about creating you know or lowering lowering the bar of, of entry. Right now, like something that really surprised me was um, the success of. Uh, fee developers in the uh, Airbnb market, right? So, you know, when a developer goes into, you know, a house to build an, uh, an ADU, they don't buy the mortgage, right? Or, or they don't become co-owners of, of the property. You know, they, they, 
they essentially, you know, leverage future rents. And then, you know, with, with the equity that the homeowner already has, you know, they get building loan and they start building. I feel like something very similar could happen in these, you know, smaller commercial parcels where an owner probably has quite a bit of equity in, in their property, right? And if you use it towards, you know, development, then bam, all of a sudden you have a, a whole uh, industry of developers going, you know, site by site, building, you know, eight, 10, 15 units, and then, and then go, you know, going to the next site. Yeah, I, th- I think, I mean, not to, you know, kind of shun what has been done. I mean, I've been a skeptic from the beginning of like the duplex laws because it's just like, one, yeah, if you're actually going to stay on the site and do it, they want to kind of pretend it's going to be almost like a bespoke, like, oh, people are just going to redevelop their houses because they just want different houses. And some people are. But yeah, unless you really throw in the fundamentals of financing, you know, future revenue streams and actually having a lot of accountants and bean counters really making everything work that you get lines of credit to do stuff. Nothing's going to happen unless you really make it work at scale. So, uh, I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm very happy to see things that like seem like, yeah, real business people are going to say like, oh yeah, we want to. So when you talk about getting the developers to the table to talk about what 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 it takes, you know, I'm I'm excited about you know that real kind of feasibility analysis. No, yeah, I mean, and and we're we're working with a couple, and um, I mean the be- the future is bright for infill development. There's a lot a lot of potential in this in this field, and there's a lot of need for it, you know. Uh, housing demand isn't going to go down anytime soon i i I think right now is a a perfect moment to you know start expanding on on this realm i suppose yeah i think and put on my you know you know george's head explicitly for this program you know a a big you know idea is you know using the incentives of, of land taxation and so on to bring you know to bring different land into more efficiency more yield and and use it better and there's the, the the basically the assumptions that go into that is usually you know certainly back in the kind of uh, proto urban economics you know age, you kind of assume that every development is going to exist on its own unit without really a lot of kind of spillover effects from parcel to parcel. And you can kind of bring up any single parcel into development, <laughs> and like, yeah, just modern like modern building codes that just doesn't take place at all. So you just unless and you bring in you know the land assembly costs, that's just not really in a lot of the urban economics one on one assumptions at all. And they even say like, yeah, basically the kind of assumptions of assessment don't really take place if you're building a large large development but every development we mandate is it has to be large now you know which is why it's it's just a mess yeah i feel like in the united states we really we're really stuck on the 1960s like master plan idea right where every new housing development is like this insular site right and it has a life of its own whereas you know in the rest of the world it's not like that right you know it's it's piece by piece it's like legos right you don't expect you know fully built out site you know with one project it's it's done much more through time it's more progressive it's more more resilient like that does that does that make sense no it does and i i hate the i hate the kind of politics that feed in which is to say when you have only huge, huge sites, then it becomes you rally the larger like neighborhood and community say, do we want this, you know, 15 story, many, many, many units? 
or should we, you know, extract more concessions? <laughs> like then you get this weird back and forth where just like it's like uh, uh, it's a full launched battle between building yes, building no. How do we get in like? And I said before, I'll say it again, I don't think this is a good model for extracting concessions, the building by building model. And if you really have like, okay, instead of having this giant frontal assault on building stuff, if it's a bunch of mid-sized buildings, you're going to have to get like concessions, which is to say value capture by more reasonable ways, (laughs) which is to say simple things like taxation and, you know, I, I guess scalable, legitimate you could say impact fees or just something that really actually does make sense and not what we have now, which is <laughs> just which is it's, passing the cost to the tenant. <laughs> Cause remember yeah. like the more difficult, you know, project be- is to build the more expensive it is going to be for the tenant to live in. Right. Yeah. Like I feel like there's, you know, this concept that if you make life really, really hard for developers, they're going to be making less of a profit. That's, that never happens. A developer will always have in mind a degree of profit before even entering, you know, an agreement to build anything in the first place, right? It's 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 it's, it's funny to be able to rethink, you know, what we're going to ask for for these, you know, developers, so they won't so they won't be free riders, right? So, and that, yeah, that could come in the form of tax or some fees, but but nothing so onerous to to just stop development altogether or have the same things that we have today yeah the develop the developer it's it's weird the developers are always the you know the villains but they are they are folks they are firms that come in want to take their high single digit cut for doing their job maybe if you outcompete them you can drive that down who knows but if you don't get it you get dead weight loss and what's a dead weight loss for the developer it means they'll go into you know Maybe franchising fast food. They'll do a different business altogether. Just not a good use of money. Whereas, you know, what is the deadweight loss when you just can't build on something? Just the site sits as it is long term. And we talk about like, okay, you know, what is the cost, you know, that, that the tenants will bear? The developer has to pay off the land owners to begin with. And they can't easily move on to a different site you know and i think that's that's the whole thing it's like the baseline of their costs is has a pretty high like plateau that you're working off of and just that's the dead weight of our entire system demanding it must be that high low it's like i don't know never we never deal with it yeah it's it, we, we live in a funky system and, <laughs> and it, it shouldn't be like it's it's a self-imposed system and I, I think we have to start you know slowly working our way out of it or at least at least expanding and you know not yeah. leverage too much on this yeah so uh, like how optimistic are you that i mean we're, we're talking about you know seattle and washington but you kind of implying you know california is a very different world uh should, should we get optimistic about stuff happening here what were your thoughts yeah, I mean, so I I consider myself a pro housing guy. I'm you know as zmb as it gets, but there's been a lot of backlash to you know the type of housing developments that we get today, out of just like you know a very aesthetic you know very like you know non-specific type of way, right? And and it kind of you know. The reason we, I think that the New York Times recently had an article on how, like, 
all new multifamily developments look the same, right? They all have the same, you know, type of facades. They all have like, the, the, the articulated, the articulated, right? Yeah. And, and I, and I think tragically, you know, this design has been associated maybe subconsciously with our, um, with our housing crisis, right? These are the, you know, site like, so subconsciously people see these buildings and you know they see that the rents are going up and they're uh, immediately you know associate these these giant lurking you know monsters with with oh this is the root of our problem and that's why you have so many you know so many diverse types of groups going against housing right because it, it's it's like the most in your face type of type of thing that that you're seeing every day and one thing that that we found actually I found with the LCI is that you know, when I go to communities and I and I show them, you know, these these smaller like infill developments that that look a little bit different, right? That might have a more traditional facade or a more, uh, I guess, I don't know, I don't know, human scale, right? Human scaled in, in quotation marks. <laughs> and people say, "Yo, okay, this looks nice." Remind you, it's the same product as a TOC, right? But it just looks a little bit different. It looks it looks a little bit more quaint. It looks it looks a little bit, you know, nicer. And and I mean, people have been liking it, and so I mean, I'm I'm not gonna fight against that, right? I'm not gonna tell them, wait, no, you know, these these are exactly the same as you know the the density bonus projects that you. No, no, screw that. No, if yeah. you want like small and granular, then so be it. Yeah, it's it's funny because like we talk about like kind of like the the look of the five over ones, this you know kind of gentrifying architecture, right? like it's the look of modernity. But on top of it, like, it's it's very easy to say. It's like, okay, you know, you have to embrace. This is what it looks like to get stuff done. But on the other hand, it looks the way it is because it is showing us what we're not doing. So we're only doing the block-wide. Like, it's it's always weird because it's like a simulation of a city block. But it's a master-planned city block. And I think people, I mean, as I said, I don't talk about architecture. But one thing I do believe... I believe that architects, they are not going to be able to do as good a job as the chaos of a city, and they're going to create something which is kind of like weird. It's like it's, it's like one one mind making something is going to kind of look weird, and I think people don't like that. And compare that to a city block where, you know, I think people love it when you have decades and decades and decades of stuff that looks different, and every every single door front is different than the one next door. And if you slide in a new small building in that, it's going to look different than its neighbors. And I think people are just going to generally say, like, yeah, I don't maybe I don't like every building the same, but I like the variety as opposed yeah. to this this fake variety. And I, I and it sounds so meta and it, like it sounds like this would be insignificant, but I don't think it is. I mean, I think humans, we just we're able to tell whether something is fake or not, or yeah. at least try to differentiate some level of, you know, um, I know that there was a ma- I, I think it was in Sweden where they had like a master plan development and the government secretly told or didn't tell architects that other architects were working in that same master plan. So like what they were just presented of just a very like, you know, small building or whatever, but they didn't realize there were more buildings. So yeah. in the end, you know, the municipal government had like 20 different architects and each little facade was you know, different because it came from a different architect yeah. and it pissed off the architects. But, you know, the, the city was happy and the people living in that city seemed to be happy as well. 
That's interesting. I mean, like, you see that too. Like you talk about like wh- where are places you do see you know, kind of mass developments. It could be like college campuses, you know, kind of like a bunch of condos put together. And like, if it's like one kind of style, like you can take it or leave it. Maybe sometimes it even works, but like people don't like when you take the heart of your city and like, you just plot in the kind of like one size fits all big, big, big building. Cause like, yeah, it's, I, I, I know down like, like Los Angeles, I've like, you know, folks I talk to who like, I, I don't think Kierman architecture is a good hobby, but <laughs> they do and they just hate it. So, and I, I, I can't, I can't blame them that much, you know? Yeah. I mean, and, and the thing is, is like, so we, in the LCI, we, we work a lot with a lot of communities. So this is like a super grassroots uh, thing. And like we've done thousands of, of zoom, and, you know, meetings, et cetera. And, you know, aesthetics is a really big thing as, as, as a, as the MBI came in, you know, thinking of it as a tertiary issue, right? Something to, you know to maybe look upon, but you know the more I'm, I I I get into it, it's it's important for people, and, and we can't we can't forget you know that that we're in a democracy, right? And the demos are, and you know these, these people are going to be living in these communities, so we have to put a little bit more attention to to what they want, and, you know, just making a better living environment overall. A question for you. This is kind of like off top. You're talking about like new buildings in Berlin earlier. I guess I, I think of like the European style elevator, you know, if it is part of this kind of, you know, vertical shared access of like you have like the American elevator bank, which feels like this giant, you know, bank vault in a wall or something. And I, I feel like the European style where like the staircase winds around it and there's kind of like you're usually kind of a screened in elevator is that something that you would actually would see more of here, or is that other reasons we don't see that in America? Elevator sizes are different. Um, in in the U.S., uh, elevator sizes is determined by uh, how like a, a laid down stretcher, like the width of a laid down stretcher. Oh, interesting. ADA. I I don't know if it goes into ADA access, but it that's I think that's a stand, or maybe it's fire. But I know that's our standard in Europe. Their standard is. I think like a diagonal stretcher, so you, they just yeah. use different parameters. But um, I mean, potentially that could be something that could be changed. Uh, last summer, when I visited Berlin, they had really large elevators in some of these apartments. Um, so that, that it, it it could be it could be a, a place where we could you know ask ask for maybe smaller elevators. But yeah, it's, it's just a, a weird kind of style. I guess I never see kind of like the kind of self-contained elevator shaft with like air around it like that seems to me I, something i see in european you know movies or like oh, really old american buildings only yeah yeah i know i, I actually i know what you're talking about yeah, yeah. um yeah we don't see that here. <laughs> i don't know i mean i, I mean but is, is that are there you know there technical reasons or is that a, a style or i don't know I, th- I think i think there are technical reasons I think yeah. uh, elevator shafts are used as a way of egress for firefighters. Um, hmm. So they like they have to be contained in certain ways. I'm 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 not the expert in this, but that, that's that's what I've heard. <laughs> that's why if you've heard that, that's more than I've ever heard. I mean, I guess you know, drilling down deep into elevator, you know, world is is an interesting space to get, get into. Uh, but yeah, we're wrapping down here. I mean, is there are there other things we want to make sure we kind of cover before we wrap up here? Uh, I just I mean. I, I, so one big concern that people usually have when they hear single stair reform is that they think that a single stair building just means an apartment building with one set of stairs, no elevators. That's it. Yeah. And that's not true. Um, elevator access is governed by ADA. 
And it doesn't matter if you have one or two sets of stairs, if you fulfill ADA requirements or if you have ADA, uh, I guess, yeah, provisions, then you have to put in a, an elevator, none, like, nevertheless, right? So um, I would say the grand majority of single stair apartments that would be built would have an elevator in them. Currently, if anything, currently, single stair apartments usually go up to uh in the us we're limited to three stories and with three stories i think you can exempt your building from having an elevator yeah so currently you could build one stairway apartments with no elevator for like a sixplex or a fourplex and you know it works for some scenarios but it, it it'd probably be better to incentivize or be much better incentivize multifamily construction with elevators yeah, that's something I kind of butt heads with. Sometimes the eighty, like some people, really, really love row houses, and they say like we want just row houses everywhere. And honestly, like skinny row houses, basically stairs for everything, like it is essentially an ADA nightmare. And they say, oh, you could live on the ground floor of, an, of a row house; it's fine. And I don't know, like I it's don't, I, suck. <laughs> yeah, it's like I, like I honestly do, like I think the ADA, it's like a real, it's it it it's a it's a burden, but it's also something that when you get, it really helps a lot. You know, like you know, even people who don't use it, it means you can use wheels when you're moving, doing other stuff too. And I don't really want to, you know, I don't want to compromise on it. And it is just like right now. When you build out in the burbs with single-family homes, and when you build townhomes in your cities, which unfortunately is still a major style in my mind, because it's kind of like, oh yeah, we're finally getting with the times of building townhomes in 2023. <laughs> it's like, no, you, you that was you should have done that in the 70s. You know, <laughs> the boat has sailed. You know, and like it's it, it's a accessibility nightmare. So like I I want to see real apartments with real accessibility. So I'm I'm all. And a lot of, we can't forget, like, time is moving. You know, we can't stop time. A lot of boomers are aging. And so our elderly population is going to skyrocket in the next couple of years. Yeah. And, you know, we don't, we don't want to force these people to go up and down stairs, like, you know, on a daily basis. We want to make life as comfortable for, for our seniors and elderly. Yeah. And we have to be conscious about, you know, how we design cities to, to be accessible to everybody. Cool. So I guess uh, if people want to keep track of the whole, uh, you know, vertical shared access debate and everything, uh, is this just, you know, look at people yelling at each other on Twitter or what should people be, you know, looking at? Uh, look into new legislation in California, hopefully earlier or sometime this year, earlier this year, we'll get something introduced. Um, follow the LCI, Global Communities Initiative, and see what we're up to. With with our with our goal of, of creating you know better infill models, um, are, are you are you just Southern California or are you are you are you nominally everywhere? Uh, right as of right now, we're in Southern California. We're trying to we're trying to grow and and yeah. go up Northern California, but it's it's a step by step process. And honestly, changing you know the way that we build multifamily housing is is going to take some time, right? But but you know I think I think we're up to the task. Cool. Well, uh, this is a change of pace from what we normally talk about here, but hopefully hopefully this has been of use to people. And thank you so much for explaining all this uh, stuff. Oh, thank you, Mark. Thank you for having me. We have been talking to Ed Mendoza of the Livable Communities Initiative all about 
vertical shared access, aka single stair. A uh, quick note uh, that uh, that article we were talking about earlier has the title "From Today's City to Tomorrow Cities: An Empirical Investigation of Urban Land Assembly" by Leah Brooks and Byron Letts. Put a link to that in the show notes, which you can find at the website seethecat.org, as well as all previous episodes of this radio program. This is a presentation of Casey Issue, Stanford.